Before I was a believer, uh, I would never have thought about knowing God as meaning having a daily, rich, personal, loving relationship with Him. Uh, in my mind, it was okay, God likes these things, these things He calls sin. If I do enough of the things that He likes and I try to avoid doing the things that are sins, then eventually when I stand before Him, I'll be okay. You know, that kind of sort of described my sense of what it meant to. Um, you know, to be right with God. I would never really even use terms like relationship per se. It's not that I didn't understand that God was loving uh, and that kind of thing, and that he even loved me. You know, uh, even as an unbeliever, I kind of understood the idea that God loves people. But I would never have really thought about the idea of dwelling beyond the veil, would, uh, you know, to think of God truly as Father, like Jesus taught us to think of him. Uh, in, in that prayer, of course, in Matthew 6. And so, but since I came to know Christ, you know, all those years ago when I got saved and began really my walk uh, following him, um, I've come to realize just how much God really does want that. Now, I, you know, as somebody who studies theology, uh, and I love to study theology, I love to get into the um, the you know the the deep things and study and try and reconcile these ideas that are just grandiose in Scripture and that regarding the holiness, the glory of God, and 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 our reason for existence to glorify Him and to come to know Him and enjoy Him forever. These things uh, are ideas that that all find a place in what it means to have a relationship with God. And I find that there are times when I sort of um, you know maybe emphasize in my own heart one thing over another in that regard, you know, the glory of God, um, you know, the things that I do, the things that God does in my life, and that first and foremost uh, are intended to glorify Him. And that is true. There's no diminishing that. There's no denying that. We read Scripture, we understand this. But in part with that, one of the ways that God is glorified is by demonstrating His deep and abiding love for a sinner like me. You know, uh, and so when I, it's interesting to me that it's, it's, it's a lot of times, you know, we know the passages like in Romans, you know, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, you know, high depth and already created thing. And, and these are glorious truths in the New Testament, but I find it fascinating. And, and I think probably this is fresh in my mind because we're going through Hosea on Wednesday nights. And this is of course this. Uh, this robust love story of God with his people. And, and even in the judgments that he brings upon them for their disobedience and their waywardness and going after false gods and putting their trust in men rather than him, all of these bringing of consequences upon them for these things are intended to turn them so that they will once again uh, walk in this loving relationship with him. Uh, you know, this will post tomorrow, but from where I'm sitting right now, tonight we're going to talk about some of these things in chapter 11. But these ideas are just so pleasing to ruminate over, to think about. Um, and I guess the reason I make this point is because we can err on the side of having an almost clinical view of God. There's kind of, not terribly unlike what my own thinking was like before I was a believer, before I really knew him. This is stuff God loves. This is stuff God hates. Be on the side of the ledger of the stuff God loves. And now listen, he'll be happy and, and all that kind of a thing. And that's really, really rudimentary and, of course, very uninformed as a non-believer. 
But I do find that I have the capacity to think of God more as uh, those kinds of things. It's all about his glory. Well, it is all about his glory. But there are other elements within that that feed into that concept that allow me to know him better than just sort of this awe-inspiring being uh, who has spoken the universe into existence, who is the source of all good and righteousness, and all these wonderful theological truths. Sometimes the personal relational element of it suffers uh, because of my own. This is nothing that God has done. This is just my own limitation in, in thinking about the broadness of the character, nature, person, and purposes of God. Um, it's easy for me to, it's easier for me to think about him in some terms at the expense of others rather than thinking more broadly and seeing him in all of these things. What I mean is that he is, uh, his glory and righteousness and justice and holiness is by no way diminished by the fact that he extends his love to sinners and even seeks to uh, draw them and us to himself in loving terms, in, in terms like a lover who desires to be with his beloved kind of a thing. Um, these are not contrary ideas. These are all elements of, of the Lord. And we know this because this is how he portrays himself. This is how he expresses himself in terms of his relation with man. On the one hand, love is not syrupy and drippy. There was a there was a contemporary worship song some years ago, and, and I, I, I don't remember the author, and I'm not trying to really get on the author's case per se, but this particular lyric was something that I think really was off and, and crossed a line in that um, it was something to the effect of heaven met earth in a sloppy wet kiss kind of a thing. Uh, and it just, it just, in this effort to sort of bring us to a place of intimacy and relationship with God kind of, it just became this almost um, romance novel kind of a thing. And it was just, it, it really was something very distasteful to me. But, but the idea that God loves us, genuinely loves us, and desires for us to know him is something that is glorious. And when we consider how unlovable we are, Again, if you think about something like the book of Hosea, you know, the, uh, the, the, this wonderful love story of God with his people, that's personified through the story of Hosea, his prophet, and Gomer, this unfaithful woman who continually goes off on him and cheats on him. At one point, he actually buys her back, kind of a thing. Um, she is completely undeserving of this. There is, there is, you know, there is nothing about her that is on the outward uh, appearance to be redeeming. It's just, it's completely this generosity of the heart of God that is expressed in Hosea's relationship with Gomer that is indicative of his relationship with his people who are constantly going off on him and constantly being unfaithful and whom he ultimately paid for in the blood with the blood of his very own son, Christ Jesus. When we consider the cost of that expression of love, um, as we talked about last Sunday, I'll encourage you to listen to the message Sunday from 2 Corinthians, um, uh, or not from, uh, um, just uh, whatever, whatever the case, uh, Sunday's message, but we talked somewhat about this. 
uh, about the about the resurrection in that in, in that context. But when we think about how undeserving we are of this love, when we think of how undeserving and 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 completely rebellious we are, that expression of God's love is anything but syrupy. It's anything but this sloppy wet kiss thing. It's about a deep, fervent, other-centered, redeeming, depth of redeeming quality kind of a love where it is completely unmerited and it is just freely given to his wayward people. Uh, Michael Card once, in talking about Jose and Gomer, uh, musician Michael Card once said, who are God's Gomers today? Well, that that would be us in the church oftentimes, um, you know, distracted, wayward, backslidden, those kinds of things. Uh, there's a passage in, in Hosea 11 that speaks about how my people are bent on backsliding from me and this kind of idea. Well, in the New Testament, there's sort of a version of that with us sometimes as we kind of, you know, take God's grace for granted and begin to sort of stretch the boundaries a little bit and and straddle the fence in that regard. And 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 but God loves us and draws us back sometimes uh, through loving kindnesses, sometimes through harsh measures if it's necessary. But His desire is to bring us back to Him because He loves us. And there's this passage in Hosea chapter 10 that I kind of got me thinking on all these things. Uh, it's in part of verse 12 where Hosea, uh, speaking on behalf of the Lord to his people, says, Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. And there's this wonderful encouragement here on behalf of the Lord speaking to his people to, like a farmer, get your hands into the work and break up that ground that has become hardened to him. He uses agricultural terms because they would understand this. The picture would be vivid for them. And he says, get the tools out, get your hands in the dirt, break it up, hoe it down, break it apart, make it ready to receive the seed so that fruit might ultimately come of it. Uh, And he connects that with the idea of him raining down righteousness, the idea of rain, of course, uh, producing life and nourishing that which has been cultivated in that. Um, There is this this element in the relationship, this two-sided part in the relationship. Uh, Like all relationships, there is this give and take that happens between the two parties where the call is from the Lord to any of his people whose hearts have become hardened to him, to cultivate a broken ground, a, a brokenness, if you will, uh, so that fruit might ultimately come. When the rain comes, it doesn't fall on hardened ground that isn't ready to receive it. But for our part, we want to experience that. We want to experience the goodness of God as it comes down upon us. And to do that when our hearts have become hardened or cold or distant, to break it up, to break up that fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. Uh, just some, you know, uh, these are just thoughts that really came to me devotionally this morning as I was just reading through some of the passages that, you know, studying for tonight, it really, it really became kind of a devotion uh, as I was reading through it. And it got me thinking about this, and it just struck me as something maybe worth sharing because at any given point, any one of us might find ourselves in a condition like this where we sort of forget that the Christian life is about knowing God and knowing Him well, coming again beyond the veil, uh, to dwell in the secret place of the Most High, to sit before the throne of grace in our time of need, uh, knowing that we're invited to do so. This invitation is 
unwarranted, it is unwarranted, undeserved in all of this, but it is given nonetheless because our gracious Father longs to draw us close to himself. Again, not because he needs that in some way, but because his genuine loving nature and character, something that he doesn't just possess love, but he is love, and he seeks to express that even to vile sinners and that kind of thing. We sometimes think of God in clinical terms. We, we sort of forget the richness of the, of the beautiful relationship he's called us to. And when that becomes true of us, the invitation, like to his people in the Old Testament, would certainly be true in, ours, uh, in our day as well, to break up that ground. For our part, to recognize that it needs to be tilled, it needs to be cultivated. And for God's part, he brings his goodness there to rain down upon us, that we might experience the growth and the richness, the fruit, all of that which comes from this loving relationship. So let me encourage you, if you're in that place now, if you're possibly sort of distant from the Lord, and you've sort of, you know, to borrow from the from the terminology here, that your heart has become hardened ground, where God's goodness doesn't really take root anymore, where you're sort of just maybe going through the motions like they were, as a passage we'll study tonight, where it talks about how they, you know, they're actually being idolatrous, but they're lifting their hands to the heavens and that kind of thing. Possibly we're going to church on Sunday, but the rest of our week is really not spent in any way thinking about him, dwelling with him, uh, with knowledge and, 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 and all that the relationship affords. Let me encourage you to get before the Lord now, to seek him, because now is that time to do so. And cultivate that. Open those scriptures and read them devotionally. Pray, worship, spend time with him, doing those things he's created you to enjoy, uh, and, and sort of as that gateway to getting to know him better. Uh, not just sort of, you know, continuing down the path that you are, but make it important to yourself. There was a time in, in Israel's relationship where they would write on you know, the horse's bridles and they would um, uh, make it known uh, their, their love for the Lord by calling out holiness to the Lord and again, writing it on things so they could see it. Uh, and this, this is something that God hearkens back to and says, you know, when you were a child, I loved you and everything, but you went wayward. This is the propensity of, of fallen mankind. Even redeemed man can sometimes find our, we can find ourselves in that role. So let me encourage you to take a good hard look at where you are. This isn't about like, okay, I'm not loving him enough or some kind of a thing if you are walking with the Lord. This is really a word for those who find themselves in a backslidden place, a place where they really have sort of lost sight of the beauty of the relationship. Uh, the joy of their salvation is something that is sort of fleeted from them a little bit. And instead now it's just, I know God and that's whatever, but I've got my life to, to live and all this kind of thing. And maybe we've gotten casual and compromising in so many things in our lives that once when we were separated from those things, we experienced the joy of the Lord in a place that we have long since forgotten. If that's you, maybe this is a word for you today. So let me pray for you as we come to a close. And let me encourage you to seek the Lord today and that you would dwell once again, feeding on his faithfulness, experiencing the love, the joy, and the richness of your, of your time in the word, of your worship, uh, of your drawing near to him, of that sweet, tender place of being with the Lord. What a gift. Let's pray that we experience it. Father, we thank you for being the relentless hound of heaven, as uh, C.S. Lewis, Lewis would say, 
Lord, that was certainly true when it came to our being saved, but your persistence and desire to draw us closer and closer to you has not waned since the days of our salvation. Father, for our part, many times, and maybe for some right now, it has waned. It has sort of drifted away. We've we've drifted away. We've sort of gone to a place where we believe, but that's really all it is now. There's nothing really drawing us to that depth of relationship that we once experienced when we came to you. When we first came to know you, kind of like those first early days of the wedding bliss, when uh, when that relationship was new and exciting and, and vibrant, and we couldn't wait to learn more and everything. But maybe now that's faded. Maybe that's that fire has sort of been quenched a bit. Father, we pray you'd re-ex- uh, reignite it. Don't let it be extinguished, but reignite it. And for our part, Lord, remind us of that place from what, where we have fallen. Help us to go back to those first things. Help us to remember what it was like to be in that place and to long for it once again and to break up that fallow ground. Give us a hunger once again for your word and a hunger for worship and a hunger for prayer, uh, knowing that this is a time to draw close to you and a, an opportunity to know you and to know you well, a time for us to, to bear our hearts to you and a time for you to speak to us. And we just pray that, Lord, we would experience this once again. And Father, we thank you for the constant reminder in your word, really from cover to cover, this constant call uh, on your part to us as the wayward to come back and find the beauty, the richness, the fullness of that relationship. One day we'll get to be with you in heaven and experience it like nothing we can even imagine. Truly, eyes not seen and ears not heard. But even in life now, you've given us opportunity to experience your goodness and grace even in our day. So we pray, Lord, that if we have gone wayward, if the ground that was once fertile has become fallow, we pray that, Lord, you'd break it up and help us for our part to seek you today, to get our own hands dirty and breaking that up, to open our Bibles, to get on our faces before you and pray, to join in worship with the fellowship of the saints and once again just enter into that beautiful secret place of the Most High, ascending to the hill of the Lord, dwelling before the throne. Thank you, Father, for all that this relationship is and all that you've called it to be and created it to be. Help us to enter in. Thank you, Father. We love you and we praise you for this. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.